Thank you all so much. Matthew knows that's my favorite hymn. Some of you didn't know I had a favorite hymn, but I do. And it just brings me back to my childhood a bit. I love that. Anybody else nervous? Is it just me? Yeah. So Pastor Chris is gone and uh, enjoying his vacation. But if you'll be in Ephesians 5 with me this morning, and thank you, Glenn, for reading that passage. Uh, He read it out of the ESV, and I'll be referencing it out of the NIV this morning as well. Um, as As we come to this passage this morning, there is the possibility for a major shift in our lives and in our thinking. And, and I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will settle over this place and that God can speak deeply into our hearts. Because what Ephesians chapter 5 is going to say to us is this. It's going to say, we are not like everybody else. And when I say that, I think a lot of stuff can come to your mind. And one of those things is, oh... Are we better than everybody else? And I'm not saying that today. We're not better than anybody else. We're not. But when you go out into the world and you have these conversations with people about Jesus and you start to share Jesus, a lot of times what you get is, so you think you're better than I am. And we should say no. No, I'm not better than you. As a matter of fact, I'm just like you. I I also have been to rehab. I also go to counseling. I too struggle with anxiety. I know what it means to be extremely selfish. I've walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Yeah, our family's been through cancer. I, too, have made decisions that looked really good going in. But they ended in pain and brokenness. So, no, I'm not better than you. I'm just like you. But the grace of God has pursued me. Amen. And the grace of God found me. And the grace of God awakened me. And the grace of God brought me back to life again. And I'm on a new path. And so, no, I'm not better than anybody. But the grace of God has just put me in a different place. So we don't think like, we don't feel like we're better than anybody else. And maybe you're here today just trying to figure out who Jesus is. You're kind of new to Jesus. You're kind of new to church, right? And I want you to know that you're sitting among people today who don't think they're better than you. You're sitting among people today who are just like you. Well, I have doubts about my faith. So do we. Well, I've been angry at God. So have we. Well, the church really let me down. (laughs) Guess what? Church has really let us down. Yeah. But Jesus is on the move and he's pursuing people in his grace. 
And when he finds them, he doesn't leave them the way they are. But he changes them into more than they ever thought they could be. And so by the grace of God and through the work of God and through the power of God, we're not who we used to be. And therefore, we're really not like everybody else. We were like everybody else. And the world is going to change when the church stops acting like everybody else. And that's where we're going to head today. All right? So we're going to be here in Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to look at this together. Now, I got kind of a long... I got three points. I know some of you freak out if you don't get three points. Okay? So... I do. I have three points, but they're, they're way at the end. So just be patient. Hang in there. How many of you don't like it when Pastor Chris only has two points, right? You like three points, and a lot of times he only has two. Okay, so I got three points. But they're at the end. So just, just stay with me. All right? Verse 1 of chapter 5. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Man, that's the whole gospel in nine words right there, isn't it? Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. What if today I was going to ask you to commit to some things for Jesus, right? Because we want to do things for Jesus. So what if today I were going to say to you, for the next 90 days, we're going to commit every single day to one hour Bible study and prayer. Every single day. One hour, we're going to do it. And then for 90 days, we're going to give away 90% of our stuff, our money. We're going to tithe 90%. We're going to give away our shoes, 90% of our shoes. I know some of you ladies would still have 100 pair, okay? But 90% of that stuff. We're going to serve 90 hours. We got a shelter and a soup kitchen and all kinds of places lined up. We got 19 different options. You're going to sign up. You're going to go before school and work. You can go after school and work. You can commit 90 hours every week for 90 days. That's what you're going to do. Because we're saved, right? It's for Jesus. I think some of us would be like, uh, I don't think so. But God today is asking us to do something greater than that. He's asking you to be an imitator of God. To think like, act like, talk like God as dearly loved children. And to really understand what he's asking, we've got to understand this passage a little bit. Okay? I don't like to take things out of context. So beginning of chapter 5, the number one idea here is children imitate their fathers. And that's what we see in these verses. But that's not the whole idea that we're going to talk about today. Okay? It's part of a bigger story. There's a bigger overarching theme, a bigger banner over that. And it's this idea from Genesis all the way through Revelation that we see every day in our lives. And that is that God is reconciling people back to himself for his glory. Okay, that's what he's doing. And so we're moving forward, hopefully, in a lifestyle that reflects what God has already done in us. And we're thinking the whole time, we're not like everybody else. Has this ever happened to you? You come home from spending a couple of nights at a friend's house, or maybe you go on vacation 
with a friend, right? And you get home and you've got maybe a new phrase or a new lifestyle trend or, you know, something that's different because you spent this time with other people that were different than your family, right? And you come home and, you're, and your parents are like, where'd this come from? And you're like, well, that's the way they do it at the baker's house. Okay? So what do your parents say then? What do they say? Yeah, this ain't the baker's house, buddy. Right? This is not the baker's house. No, 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 no. This is the Lawson's house. And at the Lawson's house, this is how we do it. You ever been there? I I bet I say 50 times a day to my little kids. That's not how we treat each other. That's not how we do it. Yes, you stuck your foot in your sister's mouth. Guess what? That's not how we do it here. That's not us. I do that all the time. But kids are always going out. They're going to friends' house. They're going to school, whatever. And they come home and it's blah, 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 blah. Or maybe blankety blank, right? They come home with some new phrase, you know. And you're like, where did that come from? Well, I learned it from Tommy. Well, I don't know whose Tommy's parents are, okay? But at our house, we don't say those words. Oh, are we better than them? No, we are not better than them. In fact, your mother has actually used those words from time to time. I'm on safe ground here because Sandy's in the nursery, okay? But we all know what a potty mouth she can be, all right? So, all right? So you tell little Johnny, hey, we'll talk about this later. But I need you to understand that we don't act like that. That's not us. We're not like them. And we begin in the culture of our house, right? We develop a culture in our house. Everybody's just a little different. And we, and we begin to understand growing up that we are genetically and relationally linked to our parents and to our family. Now, I've got four kids, okay? Two of them are gone out of the house. At least I'm still working on that, all right? And then, and then I've got a six-year-old. And uh, by the way, folks, if you didn't know, August 17th, we will officially have our three-year-old, okay? And so I am constantly amazed at how these children that came into our house understand the culture of our house, right? That's what we do. And, and, and what Paul's trying to say here is you're spiritually and you're genetically linked to God. And you're in Christ by the Spirit, okay? You're related to a brand new family called the people of God. And they don't act a certain way. That's all he's trying to say. What Ephesians chapter 5 is, I mean, he's about to drop the hammer here. He's about to say, I want you to know what's coming. This is a sit down with mom and dad kind of conversation that's coming in chapter 5. It's not heavy. It's not about works. It's not rules and regulations. What everybody has to do to be a good Christian. It's just family talk. And it's saying we're not like them. That's what we're saying. 
And so when this letter rolled out here back in the day, look, it wasn't that different than it is in 2018. Because I think some of you might be sitting there thinking, well, you know, they didn't live in the day we live in today. It was probably easier for them. Right? No. I mean, this this was a culturally decadent society. Okay? Listen, they had prostitutes that hung out at the temple. And going to the temple and engaging with a prostitute was part of the religious experience. All right? They were living in just about anything that we're living in today. They were living in. It didn't pop up on their iPhone. The access might have been a little different. All right? But that's where they were. And so this is a we're not like them kind of talk. And he's saying, we've got to change the way we're living. Why? Because of this. All right? He wanted them to know that position paves the way for performance. Position paves the way for performance. Now, I used a couple of P words there because... That's what preachers like to do. They alliterate, okay? I think a little better word than performance is actually lifestyle. All right, and I want to talk about this really fast. And then one more little thing, and then we'll, we'll get to your three points, all right? But in, in the book of Ephesians, everything shifted in chapter 4. For three and a half chapters, Paul talked about their identity in Christ. Who they were, right? Who do you think you are? This is what you are. He talked about it. And then in verse 17, everything shifts. And he says, now what does this mean in our everyday life? And if you go back and look at the end of chapter 4, verse 22, you're going to put off the old self. Verse 23, you're going to put on the new self. Because we're now children of God. That's our new position. All right? And our position is the work of God in Christ by faith. But that position paves the way for performance or our lifestyle. So the way that we're living out what God has already put into us is the idea. So I'll ask you a couple of questions. Feel free to respond, please. Okay. All right. Was the performance of the believers in Ephesus great? Do you think their performance was great? Hey, if you're not sure, you got a 50-50 chance, right? Was it great? No. If it was great, this letter probably would have read more like, man, you're awesome. Keep it up. You're doing a great job. Way to go. Pat on the back. All right? But that's not what they got. Not yet. Their performance isn't great yet. Okay? Well, did their performance matter? No, people, it doesn't matter. It's all grace, right? It doesn't matter what we're doing. We're sinking in an ocean of grace. Just live your life, do your best, try your best. It's okay. Does your performance matter? Yes. Absolutely, yes is the answer we're looking for. Their lifestyle mattered. And our lifestyle matters. Could their performance get in better and improve? Sure. All right, second set of questions. Was their position great? We already know their, that their performance wasn't great. Was their position great? Absolutely. 
Yeah. See, I don't think yes quite cuts it. I mean, absolutely. Say it with me. Was their position great? Absolutely. It was absolutely great. It was, it was amazing. Their position, could it have gotten any better? No. There's no way. Because you cannot improve on being alive in Christ, saints of God, the righteousness of God, holy ones of God, adopted by God, sons, daughters, children of God, with amazing power in Christ and secure forever. You can't improve on that, can you? That's where God's put us. And we can't miss the fact that our lifestyle matters to God. The way you live your life matters to God. Yes, you're in Christ, but your lifestyle still matters. Because, get this, and this is, this is hard news. You know we're accountable? We're accountable for everything we do. Everything before God. Why? Because our position is so great. God put us in this position. And we're going to be accountable. And he's going to say, didn't you know who you were? I mean, didn't you know? Didn't you understand you're a child of the living God? That can't be improved on. That's as good as it gets. And so he's going to say, then, first of all, A... Why'd you try to keep improving on your position? Or B, why'd you keep living like a beggar trying to help another beggar find bread? You ever heard that phrase? I'm just a beggar trying to help another beggar find bread. That phrase needs to be eradicated from Christian vocabulary. Just wiped out. Because we are not just beggars trying to help someone else find their bread. We are absolutely seated with Jesus Christ in the heavenly places right now and at the right hand of God and who he is we are and what he has we have and everything for us has changed and so all of that just kind of puts a frame around what we're looking at this morning and if you go on and look at the rest of verse 2, this little piece in verse 2, we'll, we'll connect this up in a minute. Here, here's what Paul said. So we're going to be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. And, verse 2, live a life of love, or better, walk around in love. That's really what he's saying. Ephesians 5 is all about how you walk and where you walk, right? What you walk into and out of. So live a life of walk around in love, all right? And and every step you take, you carry that around. Now, I uh, I did a little test talk Wednesday with the students in Fusion in this chapter. And one of the questions that we talked about is what's the worst thing you've walk, walked in? What's the worst thing you've ever stepped in? And for just about every single one of them, it was manure. Okay, so I don't know what's going on in your houses or what's going on with your kids. Okay, but for just about all of them, that's what they said. That's the worst thing they ever stepped in. All right. But when you step in something, you take that around with you, don't you? Right. For me, 
Years ago, I just graduated from college. Go Warriors, ABC. And I was, about, I, I was about to start my first teaching job, a little Christian school in North Carolina. And a man in the church there gave me a job that summer painting, painting houses. He was a house painter. I'd never painted anything, ever. I'd painted myself into a corner, but I'd never painted anything. Okay? And he, he was painting these brand new half-million-dollar houses, beautiful Pristine wood floors, crown molding, wainscoting, you know, just unbelievable. All right, and I was terrible at this job, okay? Well, one day, unbeknownst to me, I'm walking through the house across these beautiful pristine floors, and I turn around to go back, and I'd stepped in paint somewhere. And I'm tracking this paint all through this house beautiful house (laughs) brand new never been lived in and so my job then quickly shifted from painter to janitor and I spent a number of hours cleaning the paint up off of those wood floors and restoring them to the position that they were in but the point is I didn't know I'd stepped in paint, but I stepped in paint. And I'm walking around and I'm tracking it. What we walk in, we carry around with us. I mean, that's just the way it works. And so he said, live a life of love just as Christ Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Now, I got to tell you, that last phrase, man, that lights me up. It really does. And we're going we're gonna to go back in the Old Testament real quick, and we're going to look at Ephesians or uh, Exodus chapter 30. If you want to turn there, you can. I'm going to read it to you in a minute, though. Okay? And I want to take a look at something, and then we'll come back. Um, but, but there's a picture painted here with this phrase that particularly the Jewish believers in the church of Ephesus would have really connected to because they would have been trained in the history and the processes of, of the Jewish people. All right, well, so we'll take a quick look and we'll come back. Trust me, it's going to be amazing. All right, so, so in, in Exodus chapter 30... God is describing to his people how the Old Testament, the Old Covenant temple is going to work. And he's describing how the temple should be built and, and designed and, and how it should be furnished. Okay, And there was going to be this outer court and there was going to be this inner court and there was going to be a place of meeting. And there's this holy of holies. That place behind that veil where the Ark of the Covenant was kept... And only the high priest could go in there, and he could only go in there one day a year on the Day of Atonement to make a sacrifice for the people. And this temple was constructed as a picture of a holy God behind the veil and an unholy people on the other side. And it was constructed really, though, to be the pathway of a Savior who was coming named Jesus Christ. All right, and so in this temple, as you come down to chapter 
chapter 30, verse 34. Here's, here's what the Lord said. The Lord said to Moses, Take fragrant spices, gum resin, oincha, galbanum, and pure frankincense, all in equal amounts, and make a fragrant blend of incense that work as a perfumer. It is to be salted and pure and sacred. Grind some of it into a powder and place it in front of the Ark of the Covenant law in the tent of meetings where I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. Do not make any incense with this formula for yourselves. Consider it holy to the Lord. Whoever makes incense like it to enjoy its fragrance must be cut off from the people. And so outside the veil that separated God, the people from God, all the people from the Holy of Holies, there was this stand and on this stand they burned this incense. All right, and it was special. And it burned all the time. Gum resin, by the way, is mirth. So, so part of this incense is frankincense and mirth. I know you've heard of those somewhere else. Okay? And, and so outside the veil was this incense. And on the other side was the presence of God. All right? And you couldn't even go in there. Right? Like once a year, the, the high priest would go in there. But they would tie a rope to him in case something went bad. And they could drag him out. Okay? I mean, that's how serious that was. And this was a symbol of the righteousness and the perfection and the beauty of God. And the veil was a barrier between that and a broken humanity that could not be reconciled to God. And remember, that's the big story of Scripture, right? That's the overarching theme. God is reconciling the world to himself for his glory. So day and night, this incense burned, so rare, so special, that God told Moses, don't even take any home. Don't even make it for yourself. Secret formula. Only you know it. Don't do it. And we're saying, this is only an offering for God, and we've brought our very best to you, God. It's saying God is near. He's right there. He's so close. And we're here. Right outside, at your disposal. This is our offering. And when Jesus died, Scripture tells us, okay, that he he wasn't very far from that temple. And when he said, it is finished on that cross, where the temple was, where the incense was burning, and he dies, the veil separating The Holy of Holies, the presence of God from all of mankind, was torn from top to bottom. Not from the bottom up where some guy could have done it, but from the top down. It was heaven coming down to earth. It was God opening up a way of salvation. It was God saying, it is finished, people. The whole journey is finished. Because of Christ, the old way is gone. And now Jesus has done the work. Jesus has paid the price. And that altar that used to be sprinkled with the blood of a lamb of a perfect sacrifice is done away with now. And, and that thing was torn in two. And it was like God saying, thank you for the incense. But this, 
This is the very best aroma. Jesus gave his life on the cross. This is the very best. Thank you for the gum resin. Thank you for the special spices, salted and pure and sacred. But what Jesus did, that's the very best. That's the very best. That's what he's saying here in verse 2. My son is the most fragrant offering of all. See, God's telling the story. He's telling it through this guy, Paul. And he's saying, by the way, as you walk in and out of love, here's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about the day that Jesus was love. Like no other love. And he offered himself as a fragrant offering, as a sacrifice, and a beautiful aroma to God. When he died in your place. And he said. We don't need the incense burning anymore. We don't need the system that was in place. We have a savior now. And the work is finished. And all that's packed into. The second verse of Ephesians chapter 5. And and when you get to that verse. For me it's like wow. A sense of awe and wonder come over me. right? And, and, And I think we should just be humbled. By the power of God who is writing his story, and now he's starting to involve us as a part of his story. And he's saying, I'm reconciling the entire world to myself for my glory, and I'm doing it with you. I'm reconciling you to myself and for my glory. And I want you to be part of it and become a messenger of reconciliation. All right? Outside the temple, they knew God was near. How does the world know God is near today? That's what we're for. That's our message that God is near. And so I'm inviting you to think maybe a little bit differently about living maybe a little bit differently for the glory of God and saying to the world, God is near. And I'm going to bring my best to him and to the world. And I want what I do to be a fragrant offering to God. Jesus was a fragrant offering on my behalf. Now I want to be a fragrant offering to the world for my God. Uh, You know, not too long ago, I had an epiphany. It's an amazing revelation. Um, At at my house, um, I, I take the trash out to the trash can and I take the trash can out to the road. But generally, inside the house... I don't do much with the trash, right? Sandy gathers up the trash. Now, she's one of these, take the trash bag to the little cans and, and fill them up, right? And I know some people go get the little cans and they bring them to the big trash bag and fill them. I don't know what you do, all right? But trying to be a good husband, I was following in her footsteps, right? She was gone one day. I needed to gather up the trash. It was trash day. So I go and I get a trash bag and I pull that thing out and I start walking around the house and I'm gathering up the trash and I'm putting the trash in there. And as I'm putting the trash in there, I'm going, man, the trash smells good today. Right? I mean, the trash smells good. How can the trash smell good? It's trash. And then I got to looking. You know what? They make scented trash bags. Right? Who knew? Look, these things, 
These things have Febreze. A Febreze. I don't know if you know what Febreze is or not, but Febreze is amazing. And, and it can solve a lot of problems in your house. All right? I mean, that's incredible right there. Look, I want you all to smell it, okay? Look, I'm going to pass these out. All right, I'm going to start with you, Ethan. I, I, want, I want to get all the way to the back. I want to go across the aisles. Look, smell that. Take a big whiff. Is that, is that amazing or what? Everybody, please take a trash bag. Well, until we run out, there's only 40 in there. All right? Pass them around. Okay? I want you to smell them. All right? Let's not let the uh, Tillies have the whole box. All right? But that day, I discovered something I had never known before. The trash bags smell good. It was unbelievable. It took me like three rooms to figure it out. Okay? I'm not that smart. All right? I wasn't loving the trash smell. I was loving the trash bag smell. It was unbelievable. And that's all I could think about reading this verse. Because when Jesus died, he died in a garbage dump. And in the garbage dump, God said, that smells good. Man, that smells good. Do you smell that? If we were there, we'd be like, no, this is awful. This is the worst thing that could have happened. They killed Jesus. And he's like... No, that's the most pure sacrifice of love to say that God is near and I give you my best. It's the best the world had ever seen. The day Jesus died, it smelled great to God in a garbage dump. It smelled great. And I'm telling you, man, we live in trashy times, don't we? I mean, we live in some very, very dark, trashy times. Times, And God's saying to us, this is not who we are. I need a fragrant aroma. I need a fragrant aroma. So now we'll just do quick work. I told you three points. Here we are. You've been waiting. Okay. It won't take long for this. All right. So verse three. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed. Because these are improper for God's holy people. So in our conduct, we want to smell good. In trashy places, we want to smell good. And you should smell good. We should smell good, right? We are children of God. And babies smell good, don't they? Right? Man, babies smell good. I've had my fear of babies around the house. They smell good. Now, what comes out of them doesn't always smell good, but they smell good. Really good, okay? And I got to tell you, grandbabies smell best of all, don't they? Right? I mean, babies smell good. Okay? Look, Jesus made us his sons, his daughters. And he's saying, in your conduct, smell good. He's saying, when you leave, people ought to go... What's going on? This is a trashy place we live in, but it kind of smells good. 
And somebody said, yeah, one of God's people's been through here. Right? That's the way it ought to be. Next point, verse 4. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So when you leave the conversation, leave the conversation smelling good. Leave it smelling good, okay? I, I, I mean, what else is there to say? Don't stink it up, people. Because what? That's not who we are. Right? That's not who we are. But then he says this, by the way, in verse 5. He said, I got to inform you of this reality. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such as a person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. In other words, if you keep tracking out and living out this idea, it doesn't matter what my lifestyle's like. I'm just going to live the way I want to live. Then you're on pretty thin ice. And you might say, well, I can't lose my salvation. I got to say, you probably never had salvation. If you decide to blatantly live a lifestyle contrary to God. And you say, you know what, I don't care. I'm going to do it my own way. Then I got to ask you this question. What kind of grace has a hold of your life? I mean, what kind of grace is that? It's not the kind that's a fragrant aroma to God that says, I want people to know that you're near and I want people to know that I'm bringing my best. And then he said in verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such thing God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. Don't saddle up next to people and say, If you can do it, I can do it. You know why? Because we don't do that at our house. That's not who we are. Third thing. We're going to smell good in the darkness. Verse 8. For you were once in darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. So look, go into the darkness. You're, you're in the darkness anyways, right? This is a dark world. Okay, It's an evil world that surrounds us. You can't, you can't not be exposed to the darkness in the world we live in. Unless you're never going to walk outside your door, you're never going to turn on your television or your radio or the internet. Okay, you're never going to read anything. There is no way. We are in the darkness. And evil is surrounding us. You don't have to go and find it. It's there. So leave it smelling good. What does that look like? In verse 10... Paul said, for the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. So when light comes to darkness, people go, hey, it got a little lighter in here. And people will be like, you smell that? What's happening? said, walk in light. Why? Because you're already in light. 
Walk in light. Walk in love. You're already in love. You've already been spoken well of, so speak well of others. You've already been made the light of God, so walk in light. And then here's the kicker. He says, look, your light's like a candle, and it's only going to burn for a little while. And it's burning down, and it's burning down, and it's burning down. And you only have so much time to tell people and show people God is near. And he wants to reconcile the whole world to, you, to himself. You only have so much time to be a fragrant offering. Because when that candle goes out, you're either going to be without him or you're going to be perfected in him. And only for a little while is that candle going to keep burning. So, everything we do, every place we go, every conversation we have, people ought to go, do you smell that? That smells good. That's a fragrant aroma. Why? Because God is near and he's reconciling the whole world back to himself. Lord, I confess that I personally struggle with this. That it is difficult for me to leave every room, every situation, every conversation smelling good. I don't always draw people to you. Father, I know that with your spirit, with your help, the accountability of my brothers and sisters in this room, that can change. Because, God, you have put me in an incredible position. To call me a saint is unbelievable. But Lord, I do praise you for that, and I do thank you. And I pray, God, that Faith Baptist Church will be a people that leave every situation smelling better, smelling good. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.